Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Nanyap, that's Creole for something extra. We're continuing this full hour of our summer fun series with a tasty story about pop culture cookbooks. Game of Thrones fans and adventurous cooks, this one's for you. Millions of you made HBO's Game of Thrones a runaway hit, the eight-season series based on the work of author George R.R. Martin. Ten years ago, Austin-based fans Chelsea Monroe Castle and Sarah Ann Lehrer created a recipe blog linked to Martin's imagined medieval world of flying dragons and red weddings. The co-authors joined me back then to talk about it, and we recently caught up with one to get an update. But first, listen back to our original interview, which aired on my former radio program, The Callie Crossley Show. Welcome back to the Callie Crossley Show. We're talking about food and cooking today. Joining me to talk about dining for the dark ages are Chelsea Monroe Castle and Sarah Ann Larry. They are the authors of the new Lehrer. I get that right, Sarah Ann Lehrer. They are the authors of the new cookbook, A Feast of Ice and Fire, the official Game of Thrones companion cookbook. Chelsea and Sarah Ann, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Uh, every time I mention this cookbook to people I just really didn't even think knew what was going on, they were so excited. <laughs> so that's the uh, power of Game of Thrones, and, and what you're doing is so uh, wonderful uh, for those fans. Let me just tell people who don't know about it that it's a cable television series on HBO. Uh, it follows multiple storylines of a Song of Ice and Fire series, and the author was George R. R. Martin. It's set in the Seven Kingdoms of Westeros. Westeros. Uh, okay. And uh, it chronicles the violent dynastic struggles among the kingdom's noble families for control of the Iron Throne. Okay. So now we know what the series is about. And what you did was write the cookbook looking at the foods that uh, author Martin put in his books and now are a part of the cable series. You got to say, uh, were you just sitting around? Were you just big fans of uh, Game of Thrones and decided, hey, let's let's write up the recipes? That's actually exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, we were trying to decide what to have for dinner one night. And uh, I don't remember what we actually decided on for dinner, but we decided that we had to have lemon cakes for dessert. So uh, we looked around and couldn't really find anything that seemed to fit. But uh, tried out a few recipes and really had a lot of fun researching and trying new things in quest of the ultimate lemon cake. Uh, and the lemon cakes are tied to a character, so I'm going to let you talk about that. <laughs> they are. They're tied to Sansa Stark, and throughout George's books, he uses food as a literary device to build his characters and the settings, and the sweetness of the lemon cake really uh, describes Sansa very well up until a certain point, and after that point where she kind of loses her innocence and... Everything goes 
down the drain for her, really. Uh, we don't really see her eat any lemon cakes anymore. <laughs> yeah, I hear that uh, it, it speaks to her naivete. She's a little bit naive early on. She is, yes. Uh, we should mention that this uh, series is a little bit violent and, uh, you know, got a lot of swords going on and people dying right and left. So uh, that's about the moment, the last moment of her innocence, as you said. Uh, now, so you go from making the lemon cakes, writing this, then putting together a, a fabulous blog that became so popular. Tell us about that. Sure. Uh, our blog is inatthecrossroads.com, and uh, it's just sort of snowballed out of control, as we like to say. We never really expected it to be this big. We never expected to get a cookbook deal out of it. Uh, we really were just doing it because we're big fans, and we really enjoy the books, and the descriptions of food were too mouthwatering to not try to make. Um, and we've gotten great fan feedback. Um We've developed our own mini fan fandom, I guess, uh, <laughs> of fictional food. And so it's really, it's great. All right. It's not quite as easy as just whipping up any old cookbook uh, because there's some research involved and some other stuff and some testing. I want to make it clear to everybody, you just didn't make up some recipes. These are tested in your Alston kitchen. Not only are they tested, but most of them are based off of age-old recipes from the Middle Ages or... Elizabethan England or Victorian England or ancient Rome. And so those have obviously been cooked since ancient Rome and up <laughs> until now. Uh, most of the dishes we have, we have two recipes. One is for well-suited for the modern palate, so it's something that we developed on our own. And the other one is a historical recipe that we've tweaked a little bit to make it possible to cook in a modern kitchen, kind of put in the measurements and the temperatures that aren't they are pretty absent in historical recipes. Um, that's what makes the book so beautiful. I mean, you have some great pictures in here, but I was drawn to the modern versus the medieval. What's the difference between the recipes? For a number of them, they're almost completely different dishes. Uh, the medieval palate was so different from what we expect in terms of taste profile that it, you could serve them and nobody would know that they're the same thing. So, for example, it's just, I, you know, I just keep thinking about a big old leg of meat of something. That's what comes to mind when I think medieval. <laughs> Right? Right. But <laughs> for those particular dishes, those are pretty much cooked the same way now as they were back then. Okay. So not the greatest example, but if you take the pork pie, mm -hmm. which is a pretty sizable hunk of meat in a pie, um, the medieval pork pie is a lot sweeter. It uses spices that are like nutmeg and cinnamon and currants. So to our to our palate, it's it's more of like an appetizer or dessert kind of taste than the modern one in which we have cheese and barbecue sauce and apples. So that it really does fit the modern thing. Here's a, here's what I love about the book, uh, and fans will too, that you do the cuisine by the region because there are these seven families and they're moving all around, uh, that you have really matched the recipes to even some of the, not only the characters, but the area that the characters come from. You want to speak yeah, to that? That, uh, <laughs> that was something that was really important to us because that's how we organized the blog. And we felt that it would really be neat to make the cookbook sort of like a culinary tour of Westeros. And so if you want to eat something from, uh, you know, King's Landing, you can just flip to the appropriate color in the cookbook uh, on the edge of the page and pick either a dessert or an appetizer, soup, you know, what have you. Um, and I think that it's also really great, as you said, to uh, be able to read the excerpt from the books and see which character ate that meal and when and 
uh, just sort of strengthens that connection to the books. I'm going to play a little clip from the HBO series, and this is just a short one, with one of the characters describing who he is, and you can tell me about his region and what you Mm -hmm. have in the book that matches where he came from. So here we go. I, Eddard, the House Stark, Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North, sentence you to die. All right, so there we go. Got the Stark sentencing some, somebody to die, Lord of Winterfell. Tell me about his cuisine. Sure. <laughs> uh, I think that the Starks and the cuisine of the North, uh, including the Wall sometimes, uh, is some of the best in the books. Uh, it's better suited to winter, obviously. Winter is coming. Uh, <laughs> but that's only because it's a lot of meat pies, roasts, things like that. Um, but they do have a fair number of desserts as well and some quirky, tasty salads. Um, but among the, uh, and you can help me remember here, we've got like pork pies, beef and bacon pies, um, turnips swimming in butter. Um, this picture of breakfast looks pretty good to me. Yes. Two eggs, six strips favorites. of bacon. I, you know, okay, sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, All right. So people need to know, since you're testing these recipes and we've said it's medieval cuisine, that, you know, sometimes you have a pig head in your apartment. (laughs) That did happen. Yes. Yes, it did. (laughs) You should mention. Uh, Yeah. Our local Stabenor's butcher provided us with a pig's head and I went to town on it and made some nice head cheese. Wow. Obviously, you've expanded your palate since since doing this cookbook, right? Oh, absolutely. Vastly. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, so what, what wouldn't you have eaten before and now you don't think anything about? Probably a pig's head. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we have a rule that uh, one of us, if not both of us, has to try everything that we put on the blog. Um, and so, you know, we don't just make it and say, you know, we made it, hands off, good luck. Uh, we say, we tried it. It was a little weird. This is what it's like. Uh, you know, if you'd like to try it, here's the recipe. Um, crickets, I think, never would have occurred to me before, but we definitely did that. Um, they weren't bad. They weren't bad. Well, some of those uh, uh, people on Survivor have eaten a few crickets, so, you it's know, true. you're in good company there. Um, I, I really think of you two, and, and let me just say you're Chelsea Monroe Castle and Sarian Lehrer, and the authors of the new cookbook, A Feast of Ice and Fire, the official Game of Thrones companion cookbook. I think of you as sort of the medieval Judy, Julie Powell. <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, it's terrific. It's, uh, it's sort of a similar story arc, I think, but uh, unexpectedly, you know, because it's right. blog to cookbook to quirky niche fame. I don't know. It's, uh... <laughs> there you go. So um, I've mentioned that this is the official cookbook with George R.R. R. Martin's forward in here. There is floating about out there, don't be confused people, an unofficial book without his approval. Tell me how you got to him and therefore ended up writing this cookbook. We actually emailed George Martin um, and just to let him know that we had started this blog, I think we did last May, sent him an email. And uh, he was very gracious. I uh, wrote us back and praised the work we had done so far. At that point, we just had maybe a few months into the blog, but we uh, had been really going great guns at cooking as much as we could fit into our schedules. Um, and uh, he cautioned us away from some of the weirder things like seagull. But, oh, good. <laughs> you know, it's, we're, we're, if we could get it, we'd cook it. Some people 
in different places, you know, of the world, um, say, well, why, why haven't you cooked this? You know, we have this every Saturday. And we say, well, we can't get that here. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you can do a guest post. Um, and George Martin actually brought us to the attention of his publishers. Um, and so we owe him a great debt of gratitude to not for not only writing the books and giving us such great descriptions of food, but also for snagging us a cookbook deal. Yeah, fabulous opportunity. Cool. So what's been the most fun? It's tough to narrow it down. The whole thing has just been mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't ask, like, we live with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we have five roommates in the house, and we it's been amazing. I mean, for the whole house, it's been amazing. Meeting George was incredible. Yeah. All right. Uh, the most odd thing that's happened while you've been preparing these interesting recipes. We got a marriage proposal. That's oh, true. that was really early on too. That was, that was early good. on. Yeah, from one of the uh, fictional lords in the Seven Dynasties, or no, a real only. person. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> well, will you at some point get a chance to meet the cast? I love Peter Dinklage. You know, come on, that's yeah. he's my fave. We're hoping to. We'll be at Comic Con in San Diego in July, and we're hoping that we'll be able to meet some important people out there. All right. Well, is there going to be a book too? A Feast and Fire of Ice and Fire two. You know, we would definitely write it if there uh, there's interest enough. If this one does well, we'd probably have to wait for George to write another book because we uh, probably only have enough recipes for half of another book. But uh, we'd love to explore other fictional cookbooks, all kinds of things. You know, uh, the sky's the limit at this point. I think. Um, I hear that the other fictional cookbook you want to explore is Harry Potter. <laughs> That would be awesome. It's. I think it's really surprising that there isn't an official Harry Potter cookbook because food is so integral to that as well. I mean, who hasn't wanted butterbeer who's read the books? I want butterbeer right now. I know. Well, some, I think somebody has yeah. come up with some recipe for one of the, uh, you know, the the, the uh, Universal, I don't know which one, is Universal Studios or Disney has mm-hmm. the uh, official Harry Potter land. And oh, they've come yeah. up with a butterbeer recipe, which they will not share with anybody. But the rest of the foods like the invisible beans and stuff, it's all open to you. That's true. <laughs> okay. That, that one might give us a little trouble. <laughs> okay. Well, I think it's fabulous. I love it that you're from here and that you were uh, innovative enough to come up with this. The book is fabulous looking and a lot of information in it. So congratulations to you. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you very much. All right. I've been speaking with Chelsea Monroe Castle and Sarah Ann Lehrer. They are the authors of the new cookbook, A Feast of Ice and Fire, the official Game of Thrones companion cookbook. Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. You just heard our original 2012 conversation with author Chelsea Monroe Castle. She joins me now, 10 years later, to dish on her career as a pop culture cookbook author and the pop culture cookbook genre that continues to evolve. Chelsea is author of A Feast of Ice and Fire, the official Game of Thrones companion cookbook, World of Warcraft, the official cookbook, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the official Black Spire Outpost cookbook, and many more. Her latest, the Star Trek cookbook, will hit the shelves in September. Welcome back, Chelsea. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here again. It's so exciting to have you. I just loved our original interview. And, you know, we got to talk about what is just so amazing. At the end of that conversation, you said, maybe we'd write another book. Maybe it's something we do. And here you have a full-on career 
uh, doing just that. It's true. It, uh, it was really fun hearing that interview again and really seeing how far we've come and, uh, you know, I, how many of those little boxes I've been lucky enough to tick uh, throughout the last 10 years, which was a whirlwind adventure. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty terrific. Um, before we get into how you got from the blog to the book to now a career uh, doing this, I want to mention that Sarah Ann Lehrer, that she too ended up in the food industry. She runs a restaurant in Richmond, Virginia with her husband called The Broken Tulip, and she's a chef. <laughs> she, she left the U.S. and uh, trained in England and became a full-on chef. So the two of you have just from your interest in a fun show where you were fans of have created whole careers for yourselves. Absolutely. No. And it, for anybody who's in the Virginia area, please absolutely go to their restaurant. You will not be disappointed. The food is fabulous. Uh, I wish that I could get down there a little more often than we do, but it's been a weird couple of two years recently. So, Oh, yes, that is true. <laughs> and by the way, there are many on, on the website who agree with you, customers, so that's that's good for Sarah and Lara. Yes. <laughs> All right, now back to you. So what happened? The book comes out, and by the way, we should say that the official Game of Thrones companion cookbook sold more than 100,000 copies. That's not a small number. It's a huge number, in fact, um, for a cookbook. And so after that, then people reached out to you. You reached out to how did What happened afterwards? Sure. Well, I think nobody really anticipated that wild a success from the Game of Thrones cookbook, uh, including the publishers. You know, it was sort of, I think, a little bit of favor to George that they took on the project, but fans loved it, you know, and not only Game of Thrones fans, but also people interested in historical cookery because of the historical recipe angle, people who liked the show, but had never read the books also. I mean, it's just uh, a sort of oddball mix of people who engaged with the cookbook and made it so popular. And I think that really opened the door for a lot of other similar cookbooks and for other publishers to sort of take a look at this and think, well, maybe there's something to this. Maybe we should uh, take a look at, you know, what we've got in our intellectual property arsenal and see what we could do. Hmm. And specifically for you, what was your next project in this genre, working in this field um, after A Feast of Ice and Fire? So I did a lot of other fictional food blog posts um, for my part, just sort of playing with what I knew how to do from working on the Game of Thrones project. And um, I think about two years later, got an email about doing a World of Warcraft cookbook for another publisher. And as luck would have it, I already had a fully fleshed out sort of brainstorming document uh, on my computer of what I thought would be good for a World of Warcraft cookbook because I had independently thought that would be a really top-notch project. So I was able to jump into that with two feet. And then at that point, did you think, okay, this is my career or you just this is just something, another fun thing to do? I hoped it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, it It was not a career that existed, so it was almost difficult in that sense to even imagine it as something that I could continue doing. Yeah, as in, 
I said, I think in the original interview, there are lots of other books and novels, TV shows, movies, that kind of thing that I really wanted to explore. Um, but I, I didn't think that I would necessarily get to, you know, I, I thought, well, I've got a second one here with the World of Warcraft cookbook and, and that's comes with its own unique challenges and opportunities and it's really fun. But I mean, what are the odds I'll get another one after that? Right. Mm. So here's the thing that we said in the first interview that is even truer today, I would imagine. Um, you can't just sort of throw these things together. It might seem from the outset, okay, well, if I'm a fan and I'll throw some recipes in and I'll call it whatever related to the particular series and that'll be it. You have to really do a lot of research, pay attention to the environment that the characters live in, um, and draw clues from there. You're kind of an anthropologist as well. All of these skills have to uh, play into your creating recipes for a fictional world. Absolutely. I uh, I sometimes call it uh, myself a fictional locavore, right? Because it, <laughs> I have to, exactly as you said, you know, look at the climate, look at the trade routes, look at how food really works within a setting and how it looks if, you know, there's that kind of input. Video game food has a lot more image, uh, images available so I can really match what I make with how fans expect it to look. Something like Game of Thrones, there was no visual. So we had to come up with that on our end. And so each project has really been very different from one to the next. And each has its own challenges and each has its own really fun opportunities. And I learn something new every time. Well, one of the things that you, uh, those of you who work in this field, and it is a field now, pop culture cookbooks, begin it really going back through the series to find any references to the foods of the series. And as we mentioned, your um, Star Trek cookbook will be out in September. So let's take a listen to a couple of uh, clips from Star Trek episodes. And so people can hear some of the food references that may have played a part in how you shape the recipes. First, here's Riker describing the Klingon delicacies on his plate in Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 2, Episode 8. What is that? It's a Klingon delicacy. Hippias claw. This is heart of Targ. This, of course, is gog. Gog? Yes, serpent worms. Would you like some? No, thanks. <laughs> I don't think I'd want some either. Uh <laughs> But it's very specific. Um, here's another clip. This is from Star Trek Enterprise, Season 2, Episode 4, featuring the food replicator. I saw a similar device on a Tarkalian vessel. It was capable of replicating almost any inanimate object. I wonder what else is on the menu. One pan-fried catfish. It smells like the real thing. Not bad. I doubt there's a catfish within 130 light years. Its genome is stored in Enterprise's computer, as is the recipe. Captain, you got to try this. Thanks, but I'll stick with whatever chef's serving. <laughs> All right, Chelsea Monroe Castle. So you would look at those scenes, and then what? What would start sparking ideas for you for recipes? Oh, I'm absolutely intolerable to watch TV shows and <laughs> movies with at this 
point because I, I jump up and down and I point at the screen and I'm like, did you see that? I can't believe they told us what spices were in that soup. I have to go make it. Uh, I drive everyone crazy in my family. Um, but I, I remember both of those scenes very well because uh, I am an avid Star Trek fan um, in addition to being sort of general well-rounded nerd. Um, and so with Star Trek, I, I made a list of what I figured would be all the dishes that people would expect to see, you know, the things that people think of when they think of food from Star Trek. So you do have the Klingon gah, the serpent worms, and you've got the plomeek soup for the Vulcans. And it's interesting you played the clip with the replicator because some people say, well, why do you even how do you justify having a, a cookbook for Star Trek? Because it's a world where you just push a button and your food appears. Um, and I would say the answer to that is, is twofold. One, we do not currently live in a world with food replicators, for better or worse. Uh, and even within the world of Star Trek, people still cook. You know, it's, it's a post-scarcity world, so that's cool. Uh, but even Riker still cooks things in his quarters and has friends over, um, you know, Captain Pike in the new strange new world series cooks things and serves them to his dinner guests. And so it, no matter how far I think humanity moves on from where we are now, even fictionally, I think food will always be something that brings people together and is a reason to gather. And so I think sort of honoring that through a cookbook was really fun. Well, I'll underscore that by saying I do a lot of uh, conversations about cookbooks on my show. And the ones that sell are the ones that have stories about um, the authors of the book or or where the foods or the recipes come from. So if you're doing a cookbook, which, you know, on its face has plenty of stories to tell, that's interesting to people, even if they had no interest in your case um, of the series because people are interested in stories and uh, and uh, interesting recipes. Uh, that's what's driving cookbook sales now in general. So this would seem to fit right into it. Now, listen, you're not a trained chef, but a uh, real food enthusiast. And all of your books have been the official cookbooks, but there's a lot of unofficial cookbooks out there. What's the difference? Um, what are you what are you able to bring as the author of the official cookbooks that the unofficial ones cannot? Well, I think it's weirdly hit and miss, and it's not quite as clean cut as the official versus the unofficial. There are some unofficial cookbooks that are absolutely top notch. You know, there are a few for Harry Potter, going again back to the uh, original interview, that I think are really good. And they've got great British cuisine and um, huge fan following and have been very popular for that world. And so I think that what the difference really between what I think of as a good fictional food cookbook and one that's just sort of thrown together is, for me at least, I like them to be immersive. I like them to be drawn directly from the world and really considered in depth as to what the characters are eating and what the spice profiles are, where the ingredients are coming from. Which is not to say that I don't also love something like 
you know, the aliens cookbook. It's very different because I don't think anybody really wants to eat the shipboard food that you might find on uh, those particular voyages. But it's it's something that it's almost intangible in many ways. I think it's a good book, good cookbook cookbook in this genre, I think, is something that speaks to fans. It's not just sort of a, a quick grab for whatever's trendy at the moment. Um, it, I think it has to have staying power. It can't mm. just sort of be a, a flash in the pan. Well, it looks like you have staying power, <laughs> Chelsea Monroe Castle, uh, in the cookbook world and certainly in the world of pop culture cookbooks. Um, I'm just delighted to catch up with you after 10 years and see what you're doing and um, delighted about your great success. And maybe we'll meet here 10 years from now. Fingers <laughs> crossed. There, are, uh, I've still got a few more projects I'd like to uh, cross off the list. So we'll be in touch. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks again. Take care. Chelsea Monroe Castle is author of A Feast of Ice and Fire, the official Game of Thrones companion cookbook, World of Warcraft, the official cookbook, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the official Black Spire Outpost cookbook, and many more. Her latest, the Star Trek cookbook, will hit the shelves in September and is available for pre-order online. That's it for Under the Radar with Callie Crossley on another edition of our Summer Fun series. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubele and engineered by Dave Goodman. Eli Chavez is our intern. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>